there is nothing Christian about Christian nationalism. Uh, it is the worship of power in the name of Christ. From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in New York City. It's a perversion of our faith, and so that's why it's incumbent upon Christians and people of faith broadly to speak out against these types of religious extremist movements that we see, not just in this country, but around the world. Texas has long been the epicenter of the most pressing issues and challenges facing our country. From immigration to education, from anti-LGBT discrimination to health care and lots more. What happens in Texas rarely stays in Texas. On this week's State of Belief, we'll hear from two lawmakers on the front lines in Austin, and you will leave with as much hope as I did. Thank you for listening to State of Belief. To get these important conversations in front of more people who need them, we've partnered with Religion News Service, the leading religion journalism organization in the country. And as part of the RNS family of podcasts, there's a next generation podcast I want to make sure you're subscribed to. Please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. And this is very important. The podcast feed you're listening to right now will be discontinued soon. Please be sure to subscribe to The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform or at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can help keep this show going is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guests. Representative Salman Bojani is a businessman and attorney. He was born in Pakistan and is the first Muslim elected to the Texas state legislature. Representative James Tallarico is a Harvard grad, a former public school teacher, and a student enrolled in Austin Theological Seminary. Both of them have brought their personal convictions to the state house while respecting the important boundaries between religion and government, a practice that is especially important in this moment. We'll hear a lot more of their bios during the course of this show, but let me start by welcoming both of these accomplished Texans to State of Belief. Welcome, representatives. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited to have you here. You represent such incredible vitality. Our listeners uh, maybe can't see you, but these are young, exciting representatives who are offering so much. Every person has a choice. You can go into government and spend a lot of time being underpaid, overworked, and uh, doing really hard work. And you all made that choice. And it's just, I want to thank you for, you know, thank you for your service. Starts Sounds trite sometimes, but I really do want to thank you because it's it's a lot and you're doing amazing work so i'm i'm really excited for our listeners to hear your background so um representative bajani why don't we start with you how did you decide to go into politics and what did what what's your background what led you there 
Yeah, so as you said, um, I was born in Pakistan and, and moved to United States when I was 19 years old. And uh, I saw after our um, 2016 presidential election, uh, you know, there was attack after attack on minorities, immigrants, uh, Muslims. There was a lot of Islamophobia from the commander in chief all the way down. And so uh, when in 2017, the first thing that our former president did was institute a Muslim ban from seven Muslim countries. And as an attorney at that time, I felt that was unconstitutional and I was just was appalled by that. And I felt like, why is nobody else being appalled by this in our community and nobody's raising a voice? And I just realized that there's, we don't have a seat at the table as the Muslim community or South Asian community. And I felt that we needed to have a seat at the table. And so I ran for city council, got really, I was already serving on the park board in my city of Euless, uh for the couple of years. And I felt like this is so important to make sure that we have a seat at the table, our voices are heard, our perspectives are heard, and we have equity with all the other religions. And so we are not targeted. And I did receive a lot of Islamophobia during that election. Uh, you know, there was a man that walked up at the at the polling location and and I asked, you know, I'm, I'm, my name is Salman Bojani, I'm you know, running for this election and would love to get your vote. And he said, you know, what kind of pork do you eat? So I said, what do you mean, what kind of pork do you eat? Like, what does that have to do with the city council election? He's like, no, I mean, it's really important to me. What kind of pork do you eat? So I said, well, I did not know there were different kinds of kinds of pork, but I don't eat any kind of pork. Um, and he said, well, if you don't eat pork, then you don't have my vote. And I was like, okay, well, all due respect, go inside and vote against me, but I'm not going to change my faith because you want me to, you know, the faith has, has inspires me to run for office and serve others, but has no bearing on how will I perform as a ULIS city council member. And so it was just fighting that Islamophobia again and again. And the same thing happened with this, you know, state house election. But, you know, that's why I, I keep on being out there for the community to make sure that we, our voices are heard. And we've done a lot of phenomenal things in the state house, you know, with the help of Representative Talarico as well. And we can get into that later as well. There's a story that I heard about you being sworn in as a representative on a Quran. And and the first, I think, uh, to have happened because you were the first Muslim to be elected, to, uh, which is remarkable. Congratulations. It's really important work. But then there, I heard a story about you offering to put that in the chapel. Um, and then there was a story that ensued. Could you tell us that story? Sure. Yeah. So let me just clarify. So the, the, the Quran that I used to swear in on is the, is the oldest English pr- printed copy of the Quran in the entire Americas, North and South America. It's um, 217 years old, printed in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1806. And John Adams, our, our founding father, John Adams, had a copy of that Quran as well. And he learned about my faith from that copy. So it's really, really important to me. It's actually housed in my capital office open to a, a verse that talks about how we should work together despite of our differences. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do in the state house. Uh, but the Quran that I put at the chapel was basically on the request of uh, some of the staff members at the Capitol uh, that are Muslim. And they said, Hey, Ramadan is starting and, you know, would love to have a, our, our Quran in, in the chapel so that way they can pray on it during the month of ho- the holy month of Ramadan. And so I said, that would be a great honor, but the state doesn't own a copy. So I, I took my family Quran and placed it in the chapel, uh, and and it was it was just a, you know a phenomenal opportunity for me to do that, and I was really honored to do that. Uh, my staff members did tell me that hey, you want to make sure like this doesn't get stolen, you want to keep another copy or anything. I was like, no, I mean this is such an honor for me to have my family Quran in the in the collection of the chapel. Uh, but lo and behold, like next two days later, it got stolen. 
it, it disappeared. And so me and my staff went up to the fourth floor. And it's not a really well, highly traveled uh, area in the chapel because it's on the fourth floor. And actually, I didn't even know there was a chapel to begin with. But, um, you know, we looked around the trash can. We looked around all the places and we couldn't find the Quran. And so we, we contacted the DPS. The DPS, there were two cameras there. So I was really surprised. That why would somebody take the Quran? Because there are two cameras there. You could easily, you know, be found out. Anyway, so the DPS ran the facial recognition on the person and found out uh, it was it was a lady and a group of other like ladies that had come into the chapel and and put the Quran in their purse and then left with it. Uh, and when the DPS came to my office, they said, "Okay, you can press charges uh, to to them." And I said, "No, I I don't want to do that. I just want to get my Quran back because it's my family Quran. It means a lot to me." Uh, but during the month of Ramadan, especially during the month of Ramadan, it's a holy month. You know, where we go out of our way to help people, regardless of what faith they're in. So we want to be compassionate. We want to be kind to people. And maybe this could be an opportunity for me to sort of impart some knowledge, you know, to, to this person that has taken it, you know, if, so long as, you know, she can bring it back. And so, you know, she did bring it back. Um, she was not apologetic, which is okay. I think, you know, um, I'm realizing that it, it it was a good opportunity for me to let her know because what she came in and she gave the Quran back and said this book and so I asked like you know what what made you do this He's like this book is should not be put in this chapel because this is a Christian chapel there's an you should build another chapel for Muslim and other faiths but this is not like I actually got permission to put this Quran from the house administration I did not just put it myself and um and then she said your book has so many bad things about my faith and I was like you know do you even know that there how many times jesus christ is mentioned in the quran and she was first of all surprised that the bible jesus christ he mentioned in the quran it's like he is our prophet and he's mentioned more than 50 times in the quran and we revere him and we follow his teachings and we believe in everything that he did you know his character is immense important to us and i said if i can be five percent of what jesus christ was i would be a huge huge like you know lucky person <laughs> And so, you know, just to let you know that, you know, we follow some of the same teachings and we're, we have a lot more in common that we have differences. And so let's focus on that and build our bridges. And and I think she may have not admitted it at that time, but I think, you know, slowly, slowly, that is my goal, right? To change yeah. person's perspective one person at a time. Well, it's such a great lesson in compassion and guided by your faith, engaging another faith that was not as, uh, you know, sympathetic or generous. And, and you don't even know, like, you know, people learn, people can change, everybody can change. That's what I always try to remind myself. Everyone can change. Uh, Representative Tallarico, tell us your story. You know, I served at Princeton as the associate dean of the chapel in religious life. And Princeton, like like uh, Harvard, you know, a lot of people go there and they're like, I'm going to become a master of the universe. And, you know, like, <laughs> and and yet you came back and we did school teaching and now are in this uh, the legislature of, of Texas. How did you get here? And, and tell us a little bit about your background and also how how faith factored into it. You know, and I'm I'm a Democrat in the Texas legislature, so I'm far from the master of anything. Um, here, here in but first, I, sh- I want to thank you for having us both, um, and it's so good to be here with Representative Bojani, uh, who I'm honored to call a colleague and a friend, uh, and he's a trailblazer in our state. And his election as the first Muslim in the Texas legislature means so much to everyone in our state, but particularly the, the Muslim American community. Uh, you know, Texas um, is is proud to be the home of, of more Muslim Americans than any other state 
in the union. And so his, his election. Uh, wow. That's a fact I did not know. And that is like worth saying and even underscores more why uh, representative Bajani's uh, presence there is so important. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember seeing, you know, young Muslim kids at the Capitol interacting with representative Bajani and with his election, you know, their world opened up in, in ways that, that were previously unimaginable. So, representation is so important. And, you know, his, his election um, for me is, uh, is, you know, the true fruition of multiracial, multicultural, multireligious democracy, but it's also a threat to those who don't believe in a pluralistic democracy, those who are pushing a, a sectarian, exclusive Christian nationalist vision for our country you know, my granddad was a Baptist preacher in South Texas, and I remember growing up, uh, you know, he would tell me that we follow a barefoot rabbi who gave only two commandments, love God and love neighbor. And there were no exceptions to that second commandment, love neighbor regardless of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, or religious affiliation, and so yeah. to me, you know, there's there's something like I'll just say something really powerful about like old school Baptists, you know, text who who will take that seriously. It yeah. kind of goes deep. It goes deep. You know, exactly. <laughs> it's and really it should, good, really and should, good. And it should go deep. You know, mm. religion should be about ego heart transformation. Um, mm. But a lot of folks, especially in, in the state capital, uh, you know, they practice religion as group superiority uh, or group domination. Mm. And mm. In my reading of the gospel, that's that's diametrically opposed to the teachings of Jesus. Mm. Now, you know, you went out east to college and then you came back. Tell, tell us a little bit about your trajectory as uh, viewing this almost as a vocation, working in politics, trying to represent the people. How can that be a vocation? You know, my my granddad taught me that Love isn't worth anything unless that love grows into justice. The only way to love God is by loving our neighbors. And so that's what drove me to to teach on the west side of San Antonio, the, one of the poorest zip codes in the state of Texas. It's what led me to run an education nonprofit. And it's what, uh, it's what motivated me to run for office uh, about five years ago. And, um, and, you know, I often joke that being a middle school teacher is the best preparation for serving in the Texas legislature. And I'm sure Salman, uh, Salman would agree with that assessment. <laughs> well, you know, I think that this is this is amazing. And, and you both, yes, you have obviously exhibit patience. I think one thing that's worth saying is like how clearly religion is important to you. And yet we have this narrative out there that Democrats are anti-religious or liberals or progressives. It doesn't need to be a Democrat, but like the progressives are automatically anti-religious, but that's actually not the tradition of this country. It's not the tradition that, that we all stand in. How, how do you understand um, the way that religion can positively function in democracy um, in a way that actually pushes us forward. Uh, Representative Bajani, why don't you start with that? Like, how do you see religion positively functioning? Because we have we have lots of examples of potential negatives and and the reality of negatives ways that religion has functioned in our society. But but how can it positively function in our society? Yeah, thanks thanks for that question. I think I've told this story to so many different people that I think. 
when religion when if you are religious if you're following the teachings of whatever religion that you're part of every religion mostly says do good unto others do service regardless of all these discrimination that goes on right and so that's what i told people as i was running for ulus city council that even though i'm muslim that should make it even more good for y'all that i am serving my my city my state in the best capacity because that is my mandate from my god to serve selflessly right and as as city council members and even as a state representative you know we're almost volunteers right we don't get paid enough to do this and as a city council member, I, i was completely voluntary and so i think this is really important to underscore the fact that we have certain uh, mandates as as religious people to fulfill that uh, for the less fortunate for the people that are marginalized you know regardless of the sexual orientation and race and and ethnicity and gender and i think that's what makes it more uh, strong as as a state as as a city and that's what i try to do try to show people of all different faiths um you know after putting the the quran in the chapel uh, i reached out to the hindu faith and and the jewish faith and i said you know would you all want to put your religious text in the chapel because this chapel is for everybody and i'm not just going to fight for my faith and try to get the quran there and they love the idea so they came in droves and you know we had a huge hindu community that came out huge jewish community that came out and they placed their their book there and i was really honored to be part of that and i had called other representatives that you know like um representative john rosenthal who's a you know a jewish member of the, of the state house also and i and it was really special for me to put those other books there as well and i also want to give a big shout out to representative you know james chalarico uh for allowing me by the way he was the first one first representative um to endorse me in in early early on like when nobody thought this could be possible he he saw that you know this is possible and you know he really persevered saw my hard work and said he called me himself and said I'd love love to endorse you which is really really a huge blessing and I think everything went uphill from there or, or great from there basically very positive uh but another thing that he did as soon as I got elected was he had filed a bill uh, that said that muslim imams would be able to ordain marriages in in the state of texas along with jewish you know rabbis and christian ministers and he had filed that in the previous session and he could have filed it again but he gave it to me and he said you know as, as the first muslim elected i want you to file that bill and i i was so so honored by that and that shows also compassion in itself right how compassionate he was that like reptalerico has no ego which is really really amazing and you know i think a lot of other members would have said oh i want to be part of that i want to author that bill uh, and and then i asked him you know to join author that with me and it was really really awesome really special and even though there were some hurdles this session i think you know we'll we'll try to get it passed next session as much as possible well you know this is just it's really it's so hopeful i mean you know the what what you all are doing and and i know it's also done in a context and an atmosphere of um adversity might feel strong but there is like a there is a a sentiment that you're getting out of texas right now um and and some of the bills that you know we we've been you know working on this the chaplain bill the 10 commandments bill the prayer and school bill there's about to be a, a special session i believe and uh representative talarico i mean one of the ways that many of us on the national level first 
um, became aware of your work was through a viral video that I'm sure was not done so that it could be a viral video. Unlike many people out there who are trying to make viral videos on the floor, you were actually just speaking some truth and it just like resonated around the country. But, you know, talk to, talk to us a little bit about how you, you know, that, that, talk that, you know, for our listeners, just (laughs) if you want to find it, it's very easy to find. But uh, Representative Tallarico was talking about the Ten Commandments and coming at it from a point of view of a religious person, why it was not helpful to have the Ten Commandments in the classroom. So how do you view, Representative Tallarico, your work in the context of you use the term Christian nationalist, which is, I think, the correct term right now of people trying to impose um, a certain strain of religiosity that is actually diminishing in America, but grown more ferocious and feeling th- by by its feeling threatened. Um, so, talk about like that that moment when you were on the on the floor um, talking about the Ten Commandments, but then more broadly, what it feels like to work in that context. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you clarifying. You know, there is nothing Christian about Christian nationalism. No, uh, it is the worship of power in the name of Christ. It's a it's a subversion. It's a perversion of our faith, and so that's why it's incumbent upon Christians and people of faith broadly to speak out against these types of um, of religious extremist movements that we see, not just in this country but around the world. Um, unfortunately, here in Texas and the United States, we are seeing the fruition of 40 plus years of the religious right uh, and their movement to, to attack democracy at the most fundamental level. Uh, not only these, these bills in the Texas legislature, like the Ten Commandments bill or the, the chaplain bill, but, you know, the Dobbs decision that, um, robbed women of bodily autonomy in this country, even in cases of rape and incest, um, or the attacks on LGBTQ people uh, around the country. You know, these are all um, the byproduct of a religious right movement uh, that has been gaining power for almost half a century now. So it's important to understand this current moment in that larger context. Uh, but you know, what I said in that committee hearing was that an effort to mandate the Ten Commandments in every classroom is not only un-American, it's not only unconstitutional, but it's also deeply unchristian. And I tried to connect with the author of that bill, who is a fellow believer, uh, and I tried to connect with her through our our particular religious language, our, our religious vocabulary, and our shared tradition. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it, um, it, it didn't move the author in the way that I hoped, but it did galvanize enough support in the Texas House for us to stop that bill from becoming law just a few months ago. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've been working on at Interfaith Alliance with Texas Impact and uh, Baptist Joint Committee is the chaplain's bill, which um, for we've talked about this before on the show, but the bill, I believe, allows schools, districts to hire chaplains in some cases to replace school counselors who are trained specifically in that work and hire chaplains to do the work without 
necessarily the training and who could bring and often would bring a religious viewpoint to their work. So really introducing, a, this is my language, but a kind of spiritual coercion into a potential spiritual coercion into education. And what what was important to us is to respond to this, not by saying religion is bad, religion has got to be go. Instead, we said, we rallied. I was a chaplain. I was the head of a national chaplain's organization that worked in higher education. I know what a chaplain can do. It's a good thing. It's just not the thing for a public school. I, you know, but instead we, we decided to rally chaplain voices to say, this is bad for everybody. This is bad for chaplaincy. And, you know, one of the great quotes was a spiritual malfeasance of chaplain. So right now, this is, I think, going to school board by school board. Um, but our, our idea is, you know, let's have good religion like you two, like let's bring it, you know, who are thinking about the other. This is the thing that what you two have both exemplified in the, even in this short conversation, you keep referencing the other and the rights of the other and how important it is to work together and how empathy and sympathy and, and compassion, these are words that should be everywhere in the way we, you know, interact with one another. So I just, you know, th we're talking about Texas right now, but everything that's happening in Texas is being replicated. Like everybody's looking at everybody and they're saying, oh, that's interesting. I didn't, you know, that let's, let's maybe bring that to Oklahoma and then Nebraska. And the, you know, I mean, so this is, this is a, a specific example to talk about a national trend. And so uh, Representative Bajani, can you say a little bit about what is about, about to happen in October at the special session and, and how you understand that? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so I think the governor is going to call us soon after this uh, Paxton trial is, is completed uh, to talk about private school vouchers. Uh, I think the, the, the messaging is around school choice, but I'd like to argue that parents do have a choice today uh, with schools, with uh, great charter schools, public charter schools and public schools um, and magnet schools that like even in Dallas, Fort Worth, there are really good public magnet schools out there. So parents do have a choice, but I think, it's not about the choice as much as I understand it, as much as it is about taking public funds and diverting it to private schools, which I, I'm not a proponent of as, at all. And, I, you know, and it, it's very unfortunate that we had a $33 billion surplus as we started the session. And this was my first session. So I don't know any other session how it was would be, but I would have thought uh, that there would be a huge teacher pay raise as Representative Talarico filed an amazing bill about that too. But we did not do that. We did not get a teacher pay raise. So my hunch is that, you know, there may be a carrot dangling at us saying that if you want teacher pay raise, you'll have to pass some sort of a private school voucher. And I have prepared my teachers in my district and school districts, and I've told them, unfortunately, I'll have to say no to both. Uh, note of the teacher pay raise because it, we cannot pass any any sort of a private school voucher because um, if once we even open that door a little bit, it may be swung next session or multiple sessions down the road. And I think it's not a good idea to take taxpayer dollars and, and give it to private school ventures, uh, whether they're religious or not, right? There are a lot of, you know, I think Muslim schools and other religious schools that, that may be, you know, thinking this would be a good idea. But I think it, if we were fully funding our schools right now, um, I think it, it, we could think about it, but we're not even fully funding our schools. We're, we're not giving our teacher the, the living ways that they deserve. And so I think, you know, that's something that I'm going to you know, fight again alongside mm -hmm. with Reptile Rico and, and, and others that are passionate about this, this idea. 
And is school prayer also, uh, Representative Tallarico, is that also back on the table in the Ten Commandments? Are they thinking about reintroducing that? The, again, these are these are issues that are, are you know, happening all across the country. And um, and again, like I think that the you know the the reflex is, oh, you're anti-school prayer, so you're anti-religious. And and my response always is a Baptist minister with two kids in public school, by the way, in New York City, um, is that I actually don't want to outsource my you know my prayer like I, I i actually want like i want that to be something that i'm really aware of i if you want to teach world religions and and increase information increase empathy increase understanding literacy all that i'm okay with that but but for someone to lead prayer and a specific prayer i just i'm i don't feel comfortable with that as a religious leader and so so i think like sometimes it's framed as anti-religious but it's not that it's actually you know, it's it's going back to the reason we have a non-establishment clause is that is that that was meant to help religion, actually. And I think that this is all of what is being proposed here. This is my words, not these representatives who are much better versed than I. But I will say I don't view that as helping religion. So, I, uh, Representative Tallarico, you, you you take it from there and correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. And I'll take it one step further. You know, I think the unintended consequence of these type of Christian nationalist pieces of legislation is going to be the creation of more atheists in this country. And, and rightly so, because this is exactly why people distrust um, religious zealots. You know, they're more interested in putting up a poster in your classroom than living out the example of Jesus or or Moses, or Muhammad, or Buddha, you know, they are, they're trying to impose their beliefs on other people through mandates, rather than, you know, sharing the love that's, that's exuded by their mm. prophets. Mm. You know, that, that I think is going to be the, the consequence of this type of movement, unless people of faith in, in all kinds of traditions stand up and, and stop this Christian nationalist movement, because, it is a threat to this country. It's a threat to this democracy. And for the Christians that are listening, Christian nationalism is a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I agree completely. And in fact, there's there's interesting statistics that, you know, young people don't really have a lot of tolerance for anti-LGBTQ stuff. You know, they're just kind of like, are we really talking about that? My nieces and nephews are like, what are they talking about? You know, like, you know, they just don't, they don't go there. And so, um, you know, one of the statistics, I think it was out of Pew, like, well, they asked, like, why people left. And they're like, I don't really, like, I rep- I associate Christianity too much with anti-LGBTQ stuff. And I just am not, like, I'm not with it. And so they think that they have to, you know, I'm, there's a whole tradition of of great embrace of of uh, LGBTQ people within the Christian tradition, but um, it gets overshadowed by a lot of a lot of this kind of work. We'll take another break now and be back with more of this conversation with James Tallarico and Salman Bajani in just a minute. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. And make sure you subscribe to the Next Generation Podcast because the feed you're listening to today will be discontinued soon. Please go to stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. That's stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. 
You're listening to State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. I'm curious for for both of you, like, how do you, you I mean, this is so, you know, Representative Bajani, you talked about this, like, really going to your constituents. How do you con- constituents respond to the kind of messages that you're sharing here today? Because I think, you know, it's it, a lot of us, you know, a lot of us in the, who like have history in the media and things, we think that the media is what really matters. But actually, like, talking to people and sharing with them these convictions that you have and, you know, face to face. I mean, like uh, Representative Bajani has talked about, I went to the teachers and I talked about them, why I, I wasn't going to support that bill because of this reason. How do your how do your messages about religion and democracy um, fare in these town halls that you have and, and the face to face constituency? Because I think what you two are offering is like messaging and I hate to use it that way, but it just feels very compelling to me. Uh, how is it working for you? Yeah, I think for, for me, it, it's it's working really well because I'm really transparent in my communication. And I, as I've knocked on 45,000 doors in my district last year, I you know I, one overwhelming sort of sentiment was that our, our state and our country has become very polarized. And how do we reduce that polarization, whether that's, you know, um, Christian nationalism or, or you know, that hateful rhetoric that's taking over. And, you know, I sort of give an example of, of Boy Scouts of America. Uh, I used to be a Boy Scout leader. My, my son became an Eagle recently. And see, they're affiliated with some sort of religious organization most of the time, right? But the, their selfless acts of, of really, you know, looking at climate change and looking at how do we no, no, uh, no thing, nothing left behind in trails, and they really conserve their their planet and and how they serve selflessly to different organizations. Even the Eagle Scout project, how it serves an organization uh, to make sure it's sustainable for a long period of time. I think those are the things that you know will make us more sort of less polarized at, at all, and make us come back to what our core message is. Because before religions, uh, there's a religion of humanity. And I think we need to subscribe to that religion more than even if you're atheist, you would think that, okay, let's be kind to each other, compassionate to each other. And once we get to that point, I think we'll realize that we have so much more in common that we have differences. And that's exactly the the uh, the, the Quran that I it's opened up. It's open to that, right? God is, like Allah is telling us in, in that verse that, you know, you have so much in common. Focus on that. We have created it. It says basically we've created you into different tribes and different groups. So that you can get to know one another, that you should form cooperative relationship with each other and talk about what you have in common, regardless of, you, of the differences. And it's it resonates so much with me and the constituents that I talk to that is so important um, that we really come out there. And that's why I've also created an interfaith advisory council. People of in from the district that are, you know, uh, leaders of different faith. And that's how we even come up with this bill that um, and Reptile Rick also helped me with that was. HB 1883, which said that there would be no star testing on end of course exams on religious holy days. And everybody loved that bill. Um, and, and we were able to get passed overwhelmingly in the House and in the Senate. Um, and, and so, you know, it, and it's signed into law right now. Um, so it is it important because, you know, the, the, the essence of that was my kids were having a star test on Eid and other people's you know kids were having star tests on Diwali and other faith uh, holidays. And so I, I asked, you know, my colleagues, would we ever em- envision having star test on, on Christmas? 
and everybody said no. And so I said, that's the point, right? That it, we should also have that same sac- sacred faith, you know, uh, holidays. And we should have kids enjoy that because if my kids are saying, hey, we, we go to prayer on Eid or should we take the test? And obviously they're going to pick the test. And that's why you don't see the same thing. Like when I was in Pakistan, Eid was a three-day holiday where everybody took off all the, you know, like it's like how Christmas was, right? And so we could easily celebrate that. We went to each other's homes and, and celebrated that. And here we're just missing that. And it's sort of washing off all the diversity and all the religious holidays and how we celebrate it in, in America and so this sort of brings it back home. Um, uh, Representative Tallarico, like, what are what are some examples of um, other examples of kind of interfaith uh, legislating that you that you can think of that um, made you like excited that that gave you a sense of um, possibility in Texas? Yeah, you know, I, you look around this big beautiful world of ours, and it's clear that God loves diversity. God loves variety. Um, no two things are exactly alike. Um, the same God that made me made Salman Bojani. Uh, and we were made to, to share and, and love one another. And so, you know, I, I, I was so honored to, to sign on to his uh, religious freedom agenda in the Texas House. He mentioned some of the pieces of legislation, but the idea was that we would push back against Christian nationalism or religious extremism, religious exclusion with uh, an interfaith package of bills that would actually make life better for for people of all faiths and people of no faith at all. You know, our atheist brothers and sisters are just as much a part of um, of the state of this country, this democracy as we are. And and that diversity, that variety is something we should we should celebrate. You know, I know personally that I've I've learned uh, as much about my faith from um, Salman's tradition, from the Islamic mystics, um, from poets like Rumi, um, as much as I have from from Christian authors and Christian writers. Um, So this kind of interfaith dialogue, um, it doesn't water down your tradition. In fact, it strengthens it. It brings out new flavors and new colors. Uh, that you I love that. Seen. I love that. Could you say a little bit more about the religious freedom bill? I, I don't think I know. What was, what was, what were some of the elements of that? It was actually a package of bills. I'll let Salman talk about it. He was the primary author, um, but we had um, Christian lawmakers, Jewish lawmakers, um, Buddhist lawmakers who were signing on to this package of of religious freedom bills that were authored by our first Muslim member. Thank you, Reptile Rico. Um, and thank you, Paul, for that question. Uh, I mean, Reptile Rico is being very modest here. I mean, he's helped me craft the whole thing, you know, so so he's being really modest. But basically, we're, there's a package of three bills that we filed uh, together. And, you know, in terms of messaging, you know, we talked about messaging quite a bit. And so we were thinking about how to package the, these three bills and how to do a press conference. And so I was really honored with Reptile Rico's help as well to do a press conference early on during session as my freshman session. Um, we, I, I thought about, so the, the governor, Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick, both in, in their inaugural address, addressed the, the importance of religious freedom in the state of Texas. So we took that verbiage and said, we're going to call it the three bills, religious freedom agenda. And it was basically HB 1882, which said that there will be state holidays, state optional holidays for state employees to take off for their own religious holidays. So right now it, it, it says 
that Good Friday, the, the, the law is that the state option holidays are Good Friday, Yom Kippur, and Rosh Hashanah. There are no Muslim holidays, there's no uh, uh, Hindu holidays or, or, or Buddhist holidays. And so we added a lot of those holidays. And this was actually filed by, the original bill was filed by Representative Joe Moody in the last session. And again, he gave me the same thing like Reptile Rico did, that since I'm the first Muslim, I, I would file that bill. And he joined author with me on that. Um, that didn't was not able to be make make it. Uh, I think it didn't get passed in the committee, unfortunately, because I think they saw Eid and they saw like a lot of other religious holidays that they wanted to get. But if you think about it, it is such a low hanging fruit. There was no money assigned to it. There is no money. It's just if I'm a Muslim state employee, I can choose to take off Eid and work on Christmas. That that's all it means. There we're not giving anything extra. So. And what I did was I added other, like I added uh, All Saints holiday for the Christian community and Passover for the Jewish community in that as well, because I didn't want it to be seeming like, hey, this guy is fighting for on South Asian faiths or, or Muslim right, faith right. or whatnot. So we added a lot of the other. So I thought that would really counteract all the negativity that would be spreading around it. But I think it's just, it was because of my first session, I was trying to make relationships and you know work on so many other legislation. I, I'm really hopeful next session we can start early on and get that done. So the second bill on there was 1883, HB 1883, which basically I told you about that there would be no star testing or end of course on uh, on religious holy days. And that was a big fight as well. And Reptile Rico helped me all throughout the process because I did not realize there's so many hurdles to pass any bills. Uh, but he helped on each one of them, just not. So I saw, okay, we'll go through the House and go through Senate and then governor will sign it. But then the committees and calendar committees and then the whole thing is just, it was a lot of work. But, you know, thanks. I had really good support, you know, from a lot of different people, including Reptile Rico. The third bill that we filed was HB 1884, which I talked to you about. The Reptile Rico filed it originally, a previous session that said, you know, not just the Christian ministers or Jewish rabbis, but Muslim imams would be also able to ordain marriages in the state of Texas. Uh, I added also uh, the Hindu pundits, the Sikh Granthis, and the Buddhist monks that also could do this exact same thing, along with all the other faith leaders. Now, that was really interesting, and I think Reptile and I learned a lot. Like, So what we were trying to do is make it easy to say all religious leaders can ordain a marriage in the state of Texas. But that would require us to strike out in the law, because uh, right now in the law it says Christian ministers and Jewish rabbis can ordain a marriage. Uh, but it would require us to strike out Christian ministers and Jewish rabbis and put all religious leaders. Um, and a lot of people took offense to that and mm. started to say, hey, why did you cross out my faith? And I'm mm. like, I'm not, it, you, I have to show you how this is going to implement it, but I'm not crossing out anybody's faith. I'm just saying, making it equal for everybody. And so then we got a list of all the other faith leaders and, and we did that. And I was like, this list is going to be, difficult because I can't predict all the other religious, you know, leaders right. out there. Right. And so and then right. we did put a catch-all provision at the end, but even that was a little bit uh, in issues. So I think, again, we'll talk about it in the next session and try to see how we can get that passed. But those are the three bills in the religious freedom agenda that we worked on this session. And I look forward to working on some more and it came from the constituents. It came from Reptile Rico. It came from Representative Joe Moody. And then it, the last uh, 1883 came from the constituents. But um, I, I, I want to add one more bill that yeah, we yeah. worked on, which is, which is actually passed. So, a lot of times in the, in, as I knocked on doors, people told me that, let's say, tomorrow is Eid. And usually uh, in Muslim and Jewish uh, holidays are based on the on the lunar year as opposed to the, the Christian year calendar. And so sometimes you don't know at the beginning of the year when is Eid or when is Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Passover. And so uh, what the school districts generally require is at the beginning of the year, you say what religious holidays you have so that way your, your kids can take off and get an excuse absence. 
Now, a lot of Muslim community came up and said, hey, whenever you go to the school district and say, hey, tomorrow is Eid, because it's, it's, they have to have a moon sighting in Saudi Arabia right. in order for them to decide, right? And so uh, they require, the school districts require a letter from the uh, imam in, in certain mosques or the religious leader. And, and sometimes we can't get it on time. So can we have a better process than that? So uh, Representative J.C. Jaton actually filed this bill, uh, and I joined author with him on that. I think Rep. Tariko also probably was part of that as well. And, and um, what we did was we said the parents will write a note saying that tomorrow is Eid or Passover or whatnot, and my child is not going to make it. He should be an excused absence. And that got passed, uh, you know, and the governor signed it as well. So that was really a good See, like, So people can have common sense. They can. And we just need to <laughs> present it that way. Uh, Representative Tallarico, I'm intrigued by the fact that you are you are in your, your position, but you're also enrolled in Austin Theological Seminary. Do I have that correct? You know, I, I, I um, my claim to fame is uh, is that my the neighbor across the hall from me at Union Theological Seminary was uh, the Reverend Doctor uh, Margaret Amer, uh, who is the de- oh, uh, academic yeah. dean at uh, Austin. Yeah. So you have to give her my regards the next time you see yeah. her. Uh, she will she, hopefully she will not tell stories out of school. But anyway, we had a great time together, and you know, seminary for me was a great time of learning, expanding um, what I thought I knew know, to, to really include lots of other ideas and traditions that I was, you know, woefully unaware of, but that's the reason we continue to grow and learn. So how has it been to um, go into uh, theological education, even as you're, you know, executing your office? Well, I mentioned to you earlier, um, as, as a Christian, uh, I'm called to just obey two commandments, love God and love neighbor. And Loving thy neighbor can be difficult and it can be exhausting, especially in a place like the Texas legislature. And so loving God is a way to sustain that uh, political work, that uh, public work. And so being in seminary has helped kind of balance me um, between these two different spheres. And, you know, my theological training and my political work constantly are informing and and challenging and reinforcing one another, uh, which I think is exactly what you need to be able to do this this kind of um, work. You need a a rich inner life um, and an active uh, outer life. And, and uh, uh, can I ask if you're if you're yeah. are you in the MDiv program or Master of Divinity program? Okay, and, and uh, are are you hoping for an ordination at some point? That's a very personal question, but, you know, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. So, uh, so when can we, I know you're going to invite me to your uh, ordination. So I'm very excited about that. What, what flavor are you, uh, (laughs) when you, whatever, what, what tradition are you? Uh, uh, Are you uh, Presbyterian? Okay. Well, and then Austin Theological Seminary is uh, a famed Presbyterian seminary. That is fantastic. Well, congratulations. And, and God bless you. It's like a, it is a, it's a journey, you know, it's a real journey. And the Presbyterians, man, they, they make you go through it. I have to say, like you have to pass exams and you have to get it. You know, I, 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 I watched people go through. I was like, okay, you know, this is a nut. I was raised Presbyterian, but I became a Baptist and I just in part because I was serving a Baptist church and also like 
the nice thing about Baptist ordination, you get a church and a call and you're in. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, know you know, we may, we may not be good at the singing and dancing, but we're good at following rules. Oh, yeah. Having rules. I get it. That is frozen chosen. Yeah. <laughs> the frozen chosen. Not not you. Not you. And actually, I, I think that's a past tense for the, the Presbyterian Church. Lots of exciting things happening. I like to end this uh, this show by asking um, guests what gives them hope. And so I, w- I would love for each of you to offer, um, you know, what is what is the source of of your hope, um, and uh, and and can you share that with our listeners, Representative Bajani? Let's start with you. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things that give me hope. Uh, I actually went to a Vipassana meditation center for ten days. It's a, it's a ten day meditation course, and uh, you can't talk to anybody. You can't have eye contact. It's as if you're by yourself and you're meditating. Uh, and it's not a religious meditation. It's a sort of more of a physical meditation and mindful mindfulness, let's call it that way, and really breaks down your ego. Um, and I felt like after that, like I really felt that we go around life pointing at someone else and say that's the issue. And then we don't realize the issue is lies inside us because we have certain expectation whenever we have any interaction with somebody else. And if you really tame down your expectation, you would be so much more successful because there's no expectation. Anything that comes out of the way, you'll be grateful for. And so that gratefulness has been really amazing. So I've approached the same thing in the in the state house this time around, where I, I generally try to you know talk to people, be really respectful. Like Reptile Rico talked about, love thy neighbor, right? That's so important. I think I, I love that concept in Christianity, and we have some of that in the Muslim faith and other faiths as well. But you know, just that's what really gives me hope that, you know, sort of it comes out of a little bit of religion in, in, in sort of the, my Muslim values and saying that, yes, there's good in everybody. Like you mentioned earlier, Paul, that everybody is redeemable, everybody. And I'll quickly, you know, give you an example, if, if I may. Uh, Representative uh, Tenderhold, Tony Tenderhold, tweeted uh, during the month of Ramadan as it started that this is the most destructive month in the entire calendar and a lot of bad uh, atrocities have happened during the month of Ramadan. And so it's it's really bad. And uh, it got 650,000 likes. So um, I had a meeting with my staff and, you know, we met uh, with Representative Tinderholt the next day. And uh, I told him how uh, bad the tweet was and how it must be very hurtful to 2 billion Muslims, you know, practicing Muslims around the, around the world. Uh, and just because uh, bad things happen on Christmas, that doesn't make Christmas bad. Right. So with the same token, you were deployed in, in at war in Iraq during that month. And obviously, you're going to see a lot of bad things that happened during that time. But that doesn't it's not reflective of the how holy that month is for us. And, you know, because of tweets like this, you know, people blow up mosques. My mosque could be targeted next because of that tweet. And it's so disrespectful doing that. And so he understood that. And he he, he apologized to me immediately. And I said he didn't realize how, how hurtful that would be. So I told him that, you know, I'm nobody. Don't apologize to me. You've offended two billion Muslims. And so because the, the hurt that happened was public, there should be an apology that should be public as well. And, you know, me and my staff were betting that, you know, with, whether this would happen or not, that he would take it down because he had 650,000 likes. But to his credit, he took it down. Not only did he take it down, he issued a public apology for that. And then um, the following weeks later, there was an Eid resolution where he joined author that Eid resolution with me. And so from where he was to where he became, I felt so grateful that, you know, God had sort of given me an opportunity to sort of really educate people. I think that's what it's, it's all about. He's a such, I mean, 
the policy may be different. We're not talking about policy, but I think he's he's genuinely a really uh, a good person. And he realized that you know he had made a mistake and he really owned up to it. And not a lot of people would have done that. So I feel like everybody's redeemable. I feel like we should respect everybody. And that's what my parents have taught me. Uh, my wife is also another source of hope for me because, you know, she is is the woman behind me. She met me when I was literally, uh, you know, mopping floors at gas stations for six bucks an hour and has sort of lit that fire in me since then. And, you know, just how to give back to people. Right. And I've learned through her uh, and, and my kids give me inspiration that, you know, they like my son is an Eagle Scout. He's got two patents to his name. My my daughter runs cross country. She's just an amazing, you know, compassionate person doing her gold gold award for Girl Scout. So with this, the youth that are we have go, coming up in the next generation, I see a lot of hope with that. Wonderful, wonderful. And that's a wonderful story and a hopeful story about how how uh, someone can be, you know, have their heart changed. It's really, really important to tell that story. I thank you for it. Representative Talarico. Yeah, you know, I think this conversation and conversations just like it are what give me hope. Uh, I mentioned the the Muslim Sufi poet Rumi. Um, he has this great line where he says, in every religion, there is love, yet love has no religion. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Paul, about us as Christians stepping outside the center and rejoining the circle. Uh, and that's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. If you read the New Testament, if you read the Christian Bible, you'll see that the hero of every one of Jesus's stories or parables is the outsider. It's the outcast. Um, when when he's asked to explain his commandment to love thy neighbor, he says that the neighbor is whoever is different from you, right? In their context, it was the Samaritan. But in our context, it would be your Muslim neighbor or your LGBTQ neighbor or your atheist neighbor. That is who you are called to love as yourself. Um, and the Christian nationalist movement that's gaining traction in our country is anything but that. You know, in my experience, um, the opposite of faith is not doubt because doubt is a key part of true faith. The opposite of faith in my book is control. It's people who try to control themselves, the, their environment, other people. Um, God doesn't need your mandates. God doesn't need your legislation. God doesn't need your exclusion. God needs you to love those who are different from you just as you would love yourself. And that's what we're doing here in this small conversation. And I hope it's what we're going to do in this democracy going forward. Representative Talrico, Representative Bajani, thank you so much for joining me here on State of Belief. This has been an unbelievably hopeful conversation for me and our listeners, and I wish you the absolute best as you go back into session and uh, would look forward to speaking to you many times into the future. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Rep. Talrico. And that's all the time we have for this week's State of Belief. This is very important. As part of our new partnership with Religion News Service for distribution and expansion of this show, the podcast feed you are listening to right now will be discontinued soon. Please be sure to subscribe to the new and improved podcast called The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform or at stateofbelief.com dot com slash new podcast. Subscribe to The State of Belief today.
We need your help keeping State of Belief going. I hope you'll consider being a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And you can be a part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing this program with friends and family. Let's get more people listening and more people taking part both on and off the air. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook at State of Belief and Instagram at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your life. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Join us at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch on State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.